Some things that are just fluff. And this is one of the things I get excited about because I have gone through with you as a congregation the book of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in the three years I've been here in June. And now we can add Genesis to that, that we have gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the only part that we probably skipped through and skimmed through really quickly was the genealogy when uh, Seth begat so and so. And now we're going to pick up in the Genesis chapter 50, verse number one. Let us go together, reading together. If you remember back in Genesis 49, Joseph and was sitting there with his father, Jacob. Jacob was the, the, the patriarch of the family. And now they have been brought into Egypt. At this point, they're, they're being sheltered in Genova. And now, uh, Geneva, I believe, uh, Goshen. And now in verse chapter, chapter 50, verse 1, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. The Reading verse before, it says that Jacob finished his commanding his sons, drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. At this point, Jacob has now passed on into the very, very, very promised land. Not Canaan land, but the promised land that we're all looking forward to. That blessed place where God wipes away every tear. What we read about in Revelation. But now we see that Jacob is now absent from the body, present with the Lord. We still have the family here. And Joseph falls on his father's face and weeps over him and kisses him. At this point, Jacob now has left his body. You are actually a soul that has a body. And one day you'll shed this earth suit as I call it. See, it's an earth suit. Some of y'all are more wrinkled than others because like our clothes, they get wrinkled. And some of us are, some of your garments wear out. I know mine's wearing out. This is my earth suit. But one day I will shed this earth suit and I will be present with the Lord in my soul, my mind, my spirit, and my strength, which is my spirit. But Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And in verse number 2, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. In verse number 2, uh, you got to remember Joseph is in Egypt. A place that's highly spiritual. Uh, not as quite as spiritual as America. You might say, we're not very spiritual. If anything, we're a melting pot of all different religions. Well, we've probably got more gods than Egypt ever had. And when we get into the book of Exodus, you'll see exactly what I mean. But here, he, he foregoes all the spirituality. He is, a, he is a believer of the God of Scripture. He is a believer of the covenant between Abraham, uh, Isaac, and now Jacob. Joseph is a believer. So he doesn't do the spiritual aspect of the, of the embalming. He brings in the physicians, if you see the word there in your Bible. These are those who will go in and they will actually gut Jacob. They will actually wrap his body and for 40 days they will dry him out to preserve him. There have been mummies that have been found with still the skin intact on the person who had been embalmed. And it's a mystery on how these people with limited technology was able to do this. However, they do it to Jacob as Jacob now lays dead. So Joseph commands the servants, the physicians to embalm his father. See, the Egyptians believed that if they were to preserve the body in the afterlife, that when they're in the afterlife, their bodies will be fully developed in the spiritual realm. So they were very tedious in making sure that even the hairs of the head were in a fine position. 
But we know as Christians that this is nothing more than a shell and a body. As we read in Thessalonians and Corinthians that uh, we lay down in corruption but will rise again incorruptible in his image just like Jesus. Amen. But Joseph knows that he has a, a blessed hope and his hope is not in the embalming of the body of Jacob. This is just pre preliminary, uh, preliminary for something that he's going to plan to do later. As he goes in verse 43, 40 days were required for it. So it took 40 days to embalm the, the, the patriarch Jacob. 40 days to drain the body, to prepare it just for the embalming, the mummification. And in those 40 days, uh, it says it was required for embalming. The Egyptians wept for him 70 days. That in those 40 days, after the, the embalming was done, they went on 30 more days to weep over Jacob. We can see that the Egyptians didn't think much of the Israelites. They didn't think much of Israel or his children. However, in those 17 to 20 years after they arrived there in Egypt, he had almost two decades where he can gain influence on the pagan community. And they mourned along, along beside the children of Israel. They mourned with Joseph because of the man that Jacob was. That he gained influence in that city, in, the, in that nation, by his integrity and his belief in God. So today, no matter how weak you are in your faith, you have influence. Uh, let's, be, let's be honest. That Even wicked people have influence over their families. Let's be honest. We've seen men walk out on their families, leaving a wake of generations who are broken. we also seen in our congregation righteous men rising up and serving Jesus, making a difference for generations. Amen, somebody. I'm ready to preach tonight if you're ready to amen. We can see here that the, the impact that Jacob had on Egypt, they mourned with him. You know, at my wedding, I'll be honest, I don't want nobody mourning. I want her to come check to make sure I'm dead because he's going to come back and he's going to preach. I know I got a, bill, a lot of bill collectors that show up. Amen. We'll keep going. And we see here that they, 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 they mourned and they wept for 70 days. At your funeral, don't let your preacher lie over lie about you. Amen. He was a faithful church member. They were at church every time the door was open. They, they, were, they were honest. They loved God. And they, it was showed in there. Don't let me have to lie because I'm not. And the, let, I'll tell the truth. And if it causes somebody to blush, you don't care because you're already gone. It, it doesn't matter. But here we can see the impact that Jacob had to the Egyptians. They wept for him 70 days. And not only that, you'll see the, the funeral group as they go down and or they go up north up to Canaan land to where they will bury this great man, Jacob. In verse 4, And when the days of weeping were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, I have now found favor in your eyes. Please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die. In my tomb where I hemmed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. At this point, Joseph is actually older than the Pharaoh who was in charge because during the famine, there was a young Pharaoh that came in on the scene. And he's called a, a visor, It was one who was a father to Pharaoh. But still, even though Joseph was older than this Pharaoh, he thought it was due respect to the office of who Pharaoh was. 
Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you shouldn't walk by the statutes and show honor to those who deserve honor. So Joseph goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let me take my family and take my father and bury him in our homeland. And the, and the Pharaoh, of course, in verse 6, then the Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as, you, as he made you swear. The reason Jacob has his family bury him not there in Egypt is so the children and the generations that will come later, when they speak of Jacob, they'll say, well, you know his bones are, in, are at home. They, they don't get too comfortable there in Egypt. Yes, for about 400 years from this point, they will walk out of Egypt, but we'll get there until then. That They're not to get so comfortable in Egypt. Maybe you have friends and loved ones here on this earth, in this, this community, maybe in this continent, maybe on this earth, but this ain't home. Amen. Our blessed hope, our blessed hope is on the other side of eternity. His name is Jesus and we have loved ones over there. And it's heaven. And it's not, because, it's not heaven because our loved ones are there. It's heaven because Jesus is there. Amen. So don't mourn too much here. Yes, pain will come and you will get thorns and stuff will entangle you and cause you to slip and fall. You will face obstacles that you cannot come uh, get through without help. But there's a blessed hope. This is what Jacob is doing. Don't bury me here. Go to the homeland. Go, go to the promised land and put my bones in the ground there so it'll be a testament for generations. Well, you know, church, there's some bones that aren't even a grave and we're getting ready to celebrate coming up on Resurrection Sunday. The bones aren't there. The bones are in a body, a resurrected body, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where our blessed hope is. This ain't home. I'm only passing through. I'm a pilgrim. I hold on to things loosely here. I don't have a white knuckle grasp on anything, but the old rugged cross. Amen, somebody. Yes. So let's continue. Verse 6, Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. Verse 7, So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. This old man certainly made an impact on this nation. The dignitary and those of royal background go as they go to deliver this body in the ground. A life of impact. He was not someone fading and floating through life like a big red balloon. He had a huge impact on a nation. Let alone his son, Joseph. Every life affects another life. Amen, somebody. Amen. The older I get, the more I see that. When I was young and wild, I didn't, I didn't think that. I thought life was fleeting. It didn't matter. But the older I get, the more I see every life affects another life. There have been people in this congregation, just a, a slight smile after a sermon, I thought stunk it up on a Sunday morning. I thought, ooh, I have stunk that one up. They walk out the door and they nod with a little tear in their eye and it made a difference in their life. Just a, just a nod or, or even a text thinking about you, praying for you. Every life matters and it, it affects someone. Amen. Amen. Here the elders of the land go up in verse number 7 and verse 8, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him. 
both chariots and horsemen. It was very, a very great company. Verse 10, when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they laminated there with a great and grievous lamentation. And they made a mourning for his father seven days. At this point, they, Joseph, Joseph realizes his father has gone. He lived to be 137 years old. And they stop here and they lamentate. There isn't even a Bible verse called lamentation. It's called deep wailing or weeping. That's what the Bible verse means. That's what the chapters of lamentation are about. It's about weeping. And they lamentate here and they, they mourn over, over Jacob. Truly this man affected this nation. This man who was a patriarch led his children to the altar of El Shaddai. He led his children. No, 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 let's be honest. His children didn't act all right and they didn't have it all together. Simeon sinned against God. Levi, Reuben certainly sinned. But it won't be because Jacob helped them. He led them to God. He prayed over them and sacrificed. He played the part of a man. Men. If you go look at the Muslim community, it's full of men. Because men like to be beaten in submission. That's what Islam means. But if you look at the church of Christ, it's almost like men are absent. Because men are in deer stands. They got rods and reels in their hands, chasing little white balls across green acres, believing that their downtime is more important than sitting in the, under the gospel preaching of a godly, holy, preaching man to lead them to Christ. Amen. Where are the men? If they ain't here, bring them Sunday. If they ain't going to come that Sunday, invite them again Wednesday. Get the men in the house. Amen. Here, they lamentate, they, they had lamentation and made a mourning for the Father seven days. In verse 11, And when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning of the threshing full of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was called, you see the word there, and it's beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him, carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Mephesh in the east of Merim, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite as to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. You notice how we're getting in the closing verses of Genesis. How it all began. The beginning of the book began with light. In the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. We see that. And it ends with a funeral. It ends with a death. It began with God. And then we come along as humans and mess up everything. And then we keep going. And, and finally we'll get to Revelation. And it'll end with a marriage supper. In the Gospels, it ends with a resurrection. And it has nothing to do with me. We all mess it up. All we do is bring murder and lamentation and ruin. But then God shows up. At the beginning, it started with Him and it ends with us. And then Jesus shows up and restores all things in Revelation. So don't lose hope here in the last few chapters. I know that we drop our heads and we shed a tear because of Jacob. 
Yes, in, in Romans chapter number 9, he said, Esau, Esau I hated and Jacob I loved. And there's no reason for him to love either one of them because they're both sinners and he decided to save and show mercy to Jacob. I don't know why. Put your name there. Why did he decide to show you grace and mercy? It's not that you're better looking than anybody else or you got more money. You're coming from a higher class of people. No, he decided to show grace upon you. He showed grace on Jacob even though he laid down in the dust. But Jacob closed his eyes in Egypt hoping that his children would fulfill his wishes and bury his body there in the promised land. But it goes on and extends beyond that. The reason he put a stake there in the promised land because he knew there was a Savior to be born from his DNA. And he didn't want his children to wander the earth and not know that they're tied to the land. Where God will bring forth a son, like it says in Isaiah chapter 9. Behold, I show you a sign. The virgin will give birth, give birth to a child. The government of, the, of the, God's government will be on his shoulder. He will be called Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, God with us. Jacob, as he lays down in the dust, he lays down with a promise, knowing there'll be one who will reconcile all things. And his name is Jesus. Even though we're finishing up with a, at a funeral and they're burying someone, we can still lift our heads. No matter how bleak and how dark it gets, you still have hope. Oh, church, I don't know how I can tell you. You still have hope. And his name is Jesus. Let us work together and look at these final few verses. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was now dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we have done to him. Church, don't you think by now if he wanted to, he would have got him? Regardless of what his daddy thought. Be honest, let's think about that. When he rose to power, it was two years before his brothers even showed up in Egypt. He could have sent an army there and wiped them off the map like they did Shechem. But he didn't. Joseph forgave them long before they showed up. Whoever you are, go ahead and forgive them before they even show up in your life again. Before they knock on the door, hit that doorbell, ding dong, go ahead and have decided I have forgiven them, even if they don't ask for it, and certainly if they don't deserve it. No, his brothers didn't deserve forgiveness. They did not deserve grace. But Joseph gave it. Because Joseph is just like our, our master, Jesus Christ. Think about Joseph for a minute. He was, he was accused falsely. Joseph was accused falsely. He was, he was uh, put between two prisoners. Joseph was put between two prisoners, a butler and a cupbearer. He was put between a baker and a cupbearer. He, was, he, was, uh, he, was, he, he, he ate with his brothers. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold for the price of a slave. He was plotted against by those that should have embraced him. He rose to power. He saves His people. We have a Savior greater than Joseph and His name is Jesus. But what if you come to Jesus and say, what if Jesus, what if He don't forgive me? What if Jesus hadn't really forgave me for the things I've done and now He's going to stomp me out like a bug? That's what His brothers are doing now. Now that Jacob is out of the way, they're coming to Joseph and seeing if His forgiveness was legit. What about you when you fall? When you stumble, when you openly, blatantly sin against God, do you wonder, will He forgive? Will He show grace? Yes. Let us continue. 
So they sent a message to, message to Joseph saying, Your father gave his command before, you, before he died, saying to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins, because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Notice they say, We're believers just like you, Joseph. We have sinned against you. Please forgive us. Forgive us because the sake of Jacob, but not only Jacob, but we serve the same God as you. Forgive us of our transgressions against you. We are servants just like you. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. When the messengers came to Joseph, he was so moved, he wept. Church, somebody else wept. Jesus wept. He wept when Lazarus died. He, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He says, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how you stoned the prophets and how many times that I wanted to gather you uh, under my wings like a, a mother hen to her chicks. Oh Jerusalem, Jesus wept. He wept on the cross because he saw the brokenness of sin and cried out in those final moments, oh Father, why do, why do you forsake me? As he was singing Psalms 22. He wept and here we see Joseph weeping as well as He's nothing more than a, a foreshadowing, a type of Christ. He is what we should expect. Something far better as we read in Hebrews. A better covenant as He is nothing more than a man. But Jesus being God, fully God and fully man. Here Joseph weeps because He has already forgiven them. And now he sees that they're wondering, is the forgiveness genuine? Believer, how many times have you thought that Jesus might not have really forgave you. That He's holding back. He's going to get you. That one day He's going to split the eastern sky and He's going to send a thunder thunderbolt and take you out. That's not biblical theology. For God crushed Him on your behalf. He pierced His hands and His side. He put a crown of thorns on your head and Jesus died for your sins. You are forgiven. You don't have to walk out those doors today wondering, am I forgiven? Preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the wicked things I've done. The unforgiveness I've held back, the bitterness, the envy I've carried, the, the self-righteousness and pride that I have carried in my life. Why would God forgive me? Because He said He would. Amen. Don't wonder anymore. No, Jesus forgives sinners. Greater to sin, greater to grace. That's a little good to somebody like me. Maybe it ain't good to you because you ain't sinned that much. But somebody like me thrives on grace. I'm thankful for grace. Here, Joseph weeps because maybe he hadn't been as kind as he should have. That's not true. He was kind. He provided for his brothers. He honored his father. They wept together. Jesus has He not proven that He has forgiven you? Well, life's hard, preacher. That don't matter. It rains on the just and the unjust. Your sins are forgiven. You have joy unspeakable. You have peace. And if you're not happy, it's because you're probably not holy. Let's be honest. Because it's impossible, impossible for a Christian to be happy in sin. Even God said, be holy for I'm holy. Be like Jesus. Amen. You want joy unspeakable? Be holy. Amen. You want to sleep with peace, everlasting peace? Be like Jesus. Be holy. 
So here Joseph weeps as they came and told him, your brothers, they got a word from Jacob and before he died, they wanted you to forgive him. But now, verse 18, verse 17, he weeps. Verse 18, the brothers show up. They took a page right out of Jacob's book as they send forerunners in front of them to give word before they get there. As you remember, Jacob comes home. He sends forerunners in front of him to to smooth the way for Esau. In verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him. Here they are speaking. Behold, we are your servants. The phrase there is slave. Verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Joseph brings up God in the situation. He reminds them that he's not God. He's not the one who will bring recompense. He's not the one who will bring vengeance. That it's in the hands of God. That God brought him from Canaan land as a slave. That God put him in the pit. That God put him in Potiphar's house. That God put him in the dungeon. That God brought him to the place of royalty. So he's not in the place of God. He says, it's not even in my position to to strike back. It's in God's hands. Do you have that kind of mentality tonight? Let somebody cut in front of me at Walmart. They'll have wrath to pay. Don't don't cut me off on the highway. Oh, you'll see my tall finger and you'll hear a a few words. Don't, Don't slight me and take my money. I'll get even with you. If God has given you all things and God is in control, as God is sovereign over all things, why don't you let God handle that? Amen. Anger is mighty heavy to carry. Yes. Bitterness, a willing to strike back to get even with somebody, is a heavy load to bear. What if Jesus wanted to get even with us? What if He struck back against us? He showed us grace and mercy. Those people that slighted you and did you wrong, pray for them. Doesn't even the Bible says pray for those who use you and slander you and hurt you? Pray for your enemies. You should pray for your enemies because Jesus at least died for His. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Jesus is willing to lay down for His enemies, you can at least forgive yours. You can at least be kind to them because if they, don't, if they don't repent of their sins and if they don't trust in Christ, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever face. Pray for them. Be kind to them. Here, here Joseph said, Fear not for am I in the place of God in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Amen. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. Boy, they did him dirty. Think about it. He's a brother. They sold him as a common slave. Sold him into slavery to the one of the most pagan countries on the face of the planet. He goes and he starts out at the bottom at the Potiphar's house. He's a guard to Pharaoh. Even in the house of Potiphar, the wife there accuses him, accuses him of some false accusations and they throw him in jail and he spends years in jail. 
He rises up through the ranks there and through His character and integrity. But every day, the day passes by, He's not released. They didn't recant even though the wife of Potiphar was shady and a little sketchy and everybody knew it. But he still sat in jail. Finally, a bottler comes and a, and, a, and a baker come and they promise they'll tell Pharaoh all about him and he still sits in jail. If there ever was a time to be bitter, it was now. Then one day he's pulled out of the prison, shaved and given new garments and stands before Pharaoh. Yes, it's easy to shout before, before God when things are going your way. But you can imagine him sitting there stewing, being angry with his brothers, angry with his father, believing their lies when he should believe that he's alive. No. They meant it for evil. They intended to kill, kill Joseph. You have enemies. You have people that might want to see you take a dirt nap. They don't like you. They hate you. And if they can do anything, it would be to put you down. They probably have come across you in your life and probably have harmed you down to the marrow of your bone and ruined you. Affecting your mind. Taking your innocence. Ruining you. Affecting the way you trust people. But God. Here, Joseph says, for what you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Even though all these bad things happened to Joseph, God was sovereign even over the desires and the intention and the free will of man. It was their free will to ruin Joseph, to kill him, to put Joseph in the ground, to make him lose a generation, that he would not have children. They could care less. They meant it for evil. They intentionally wanted to do it. But God... Maybe you've not had somebody intentionally try to hurt you. Maybe you have. But God, what they meant for evil, God can turn for good. There's another story that we read in our Bible that men intentionally tried to destroy someone. Ruin. Their, their intention was to kill Jesus. They want to destroy Him. With their free choice and free will, they take Christ, slay the Son of God, Pull him down off the cross and put him in a, a bar tomb. But God, what they intended for evil was ultimately for our good. Have you thought about it? Why do we call it Good Friday? That's the day our Lord gave up His final breath to save His people. As He bowed His head and the final blood dripped from His veins. The precious, innocent, holy Son of God died and we call it good. The reason we call it good is because it, was, it should have been me. It's good because He took my place. It's good. But that's the worst thing that's ever happened in humanity. But God, what was intended for evil, God caused it to be good. I don't know what you face today. I don't know who has ruined you. I don't know who's attacking you now. But we can read in Romans chapter number 8 that God causes all things to work towards my good. I don't care if you're facing cancer, sickness, mental cloudiness. If you're walking through a valley, if you've been betrayed, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in the middle of a shipwreck, 
God can take your mess and make a mess message out of it. He can take that rolling train wreck of a life and make it for His glory. Amen. What you meant for evil, God did it for my good, for His name's sake. Here, He says, God meant it for good to bring about many people should be kept alive, just like the story of Jesus the evil that was done to Jesus. We always have this phrase, why do bad things happen to good people? In the history of the world, that's never happened but one time. And His name was Jesus and He volunteered. A bad thing happened to a good person. Jesus is the ultimate good and He volunteered for the position. Anything you get in this life, we've earned it besides grace. That He pours out on us and we don't earn that because that's not a wage. The moment you earn grace, it becomes something you're owed. But grace is bestowed upon us because of the work and the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. And because of that, people were saved. Do you see the gospel here in this chapter as Joseph is speaking to his brothers, almost a foreshadowing? Many people should be kept alive as they are today. So speaking to you, Christian, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph should have slaughtered all of them. Should have put them in the dirt. Should have ruined the whole nation for recompense. But he doesn't. Jesus, while he was being crucified on that cross, instead of praying for his enemies... He should have called down legions of angels and consumed every human being on the planet. But He didn't. After the resurrection, when He spoke with His disciples, while they were hidden away, He didn't come and scold them. He didn't yell at them, Why did you run? When I was in the garden praying, you ran. You denied me three times. You scattered. No, He spoke tenderly to them. Christian, today, if you're wobbling in the faith and you're weak, if you're confused and you have anxiety and you're overwhelmed, did you know that Jesus loves those who are weak and feeble? Because that's all they are. Did you know that Jesus is tender and kind to those who don't have it all figured out, who worry about what tomorrow holds? But rest assured, He holds tomorrow. Did you know that Jesus speaks kindly like Joseph speaks to his own brothers? And they are not owed anything. Our blessed Savior Jesus speaks kindly to us. Even when we mess up. Even when we are contemplating quitting. Even when the burdens are too heavy. Even when it's so cloudy we can't find our way through. Even when we're sinking. He's tender and kind. We see it with the disciples, the way He spoke with them, tender and kindly, even though they were carnal, even though they were meat-headed and foolish, even though they doubted like Thomas. Jesus speaks tenderly to His sheep. I tell you, I can really get on board with a Jesus like that. Not a Jesus who stands at the church door when you walk up and His arms are folded and said, about time you showed up. Yeah, you really blew it this time. you got to do a lot of Hail Marys. You gotta tithe a lot. You gotta do after church detention. You gotta stay after church today and sweep the parking lot. That, that's how I'm gonna forgive you. 
No. Jesus meets you before you even get to the door. He meets you in the parking lot. He meets you at home. He meets you right after you commit that wicked sin. He says, I forgive sinners. Thank you, Jesus, for being tender to those who are feeble in their faith. Thank you, Jesus, for being kind to those who are not uh, trailblazers and those who are just trying to figure things out. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, smothering my anxiety with faith and giving me grace and mercy new every morning. Thank you, Jesus, for being a lifter of my head, being the kind and faithful shepherd when I'm not kind and I'm not faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking tender to me. Yeah, this is good, y'all, and y'all ain't agreeing, but it's, it's good. It's resonating with the preacher. Thus He comforted them. Jesus comforts His people. Joseph comforts His people and speaks kindly to them. When you expect a scolding, say you ain't been to church in a while and you come, you say, well, I, I deserve all this. You can go ahead and just kick me in the shins and tell me how bad I am. I'd rather tell you how good Jesus is. That's a lot better. Can I get some amen? That Jesus is better. Instead of scolding you and telling you how horrible you are, let me tell you how gracious and how kind, how tender and how merciful He is. How faithful He is even though you're faithless and how gracious He is when you show no grace. How He forgives when you don't. We serve a great and mighty God. Amen. He speaks kindly to them. And now here at the dawning of the... Uh, the well, not the dawning. Well, the, the end of Genesis as we start... Uh, Change gears here in verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Amikar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. To the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That's the first time you'll see those three patriarchs together. It's mentioned in Genesis, the final verses, as now Jacob is one of the patriarchs. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are now put together in this verse as Joseph's final words are that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. That Joseph knew this is not home. That Egypt is not home. Our blessed hope is Canaan land. Our heritage is Canaan land. My eyes may close here, but I will open them again in eternity. But until then, there will be one who will rise up and to lead us out of this land. In verse 25, And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here. In verse 25, that's interesting because in Joshua chapter 25, I believe, that prophecy is fulfilled. As they'll take up his bones outside of Shechem to that little tomb there where his father was buried. When the children of Israel, in 400 years from now, they will fulfill that prophecy. In verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now if you're looking at your Bible, the next page over is Exodus. 
Maybe you might have a little cover page and it tells you a little bit about Exodus. But between the book of Genesis, this much, and this page, this gap here is about 280 years. 280 years of silence that God has made a promise to the children of Israel. And He doesn't speak. There's no new revelation. He has said something and He waits 280 years. In about a week and a half or about two weeks, we will pick up in Exodus. We'll go verse by verse, chapter by chapter in the book of Exodus. And we'll see God's promises all over again. For the last two years, we've gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I have shown you how faithful God has been to the people in the book of Genesis. And now we'll show you, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, how faithful God is in the book of Exodus. And when we get to the end of Exodus, we'll keep on going. And when we're done there, we'll go all the way to Revelation. And I'll show you verse by verse, chapter by chapter, how faithful God has been to His people. Even when they didn't warrant it. Even when they didn't want it. Because at the beginning of Exodus, they didn't want to leave Egypt. God had to condition their heart and prepare them to walk out of Egypt. They wanted to stay. Stay as slaves. They didn't want to hear anything from the Redeemer that God will rise up. As we read in Deuteronomy 18.18, that He'll rise up a shepherd to lead the people out of Egypt, being in the form of Moses. They didn't want to hear anything that He had to say, so God had to condition their heart. And God's certainly doing that to this congregation today. He is conditioning our heart to read God's resume. Has He been faithful? Has He stand true to His Word? Did He not send a Redeemer greater than Moses? Moses was wonderful. Yes, he wrote the Pentateuch. Yes, the five, five books of the Old Testament. But all of the Old Testament, as well as the New, point to Jesus. A greater covenant. A greater promise. One greater than Moses. Has God not proved Himself in Scripture that He's faithful? Today you can trust Jesus. Today, I don't care how bleak it gets or how dark it, it seems. I don't care what kind of pit you're finding yourself in. I don't care what kind of sickness takes over your body or what clouds your mind. God is faithful. This week, I actually got to sit with two special people and talk about Jesus. I got to stand over Miss Stephanie Dale's bedside and tell her that Jesus was faithful. Even though her body is riddled with pain and she's facing this stage 4 cancer. She wept and I kept telling her, Jesus is faithful. Then I got to sit down with Miss Lois Bradshaw. Even though her mind is fading and sometimes she don't know who I am. And that's okay because I'm forgettable anyway. Sometimes she gossips about me. That preacher over there is crazy. I said, I know. And we talk about me like I'm not there. But that don't matter. She knows Jesus. So I got to sit with her and tell her how great Jesus is, even though she's forgetting a lot of things. You know, that affects a preacher. Anybody who wants to work in ministry, go see the sick. Stand over their beds and hold their hands and tell them how great and mighty Jesus is. He's better than perfect health. Stand and sit with those with Alzheimer's when they forget anything and everything, but still tell them how wonderful Jesus is. 
He's better than having a mind with it all together. Jesus is better than wisdom. Jesus is better than health and prosperity. Jesus is better than anything this world can give you. And He's better than anything death can take. So if you'll let me, I know we're coming up on three years. I will love 30 more years. I will stand over your beds in hospitals and tell you Jesus is better. I will stand beside you in Alzheimer's facilities and tell you Jesus is wonderful. I will stand wherever you want. I'll stand over your grave and tell your children and your loved ones that Jesus is better. Amen. Let us bow our heads and pray. Fathers, we come together on this beautiful Wednesday night.